Welcome to the Ayurveda and Psychology podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat or go out for a nice walk in nature maybe. Enjoy. In this episode that focuses on Ayurveda, I want to speak to you once again about equanimity and how Ayurveda teaches us equanimity. I am sorry to interrupt you for just a few moments during this episode. I just wanted to inform you that on the 15th of July, I will give a masterclass, The Secret to Balance, a one-hour masterclass where you will be able to understand what it is that we do when we always get out of balance, the yo-yoing effect in our lives. Then read the early signs of imbalance very quickly for oneself and get a takeaway with the different tools, simple tools to take with you into your daily life in order to stay in balance. If you're interested in joining, it's only $10 to participate in this one-hour masterclass. Simply email me, you find my email address in the show notes, in order to sign up. I spoke about this concept last week from the psychological viewpoint and naturally most of us would want to live in that space. This space of grounded where everything is fine and so that the storm can go on around us without bringing us into itself instead being in the eye of the storm really and observing what's going on around you. And I gave the perspective on how to get there from the therapy kind of work and today I want to bring the notion of equanimity into Ayurveda because actually the same way that yoga really is, if I would reduce it to that, a practice of learning how to become equanimity oneself, <laughs> so is Ayurveda. Now, as a species, we humans tend to stick to what we do until we can't do it anymore. It's the if it ain't broken, why fix it kind of mentality. And for good reasons. However, it's not always very useful as a way to function, since it also means that we tend to wake up to the need of change a little late. So most of those who come to Ayurveda arrive there because they have realized that they can't continue the way they have in the past. This means that they either have developed manifested symptoms of imbalance 
or that they have come to an age where their body will react more than it did before. It's not so forgiving anymore. I would say that this is the reason most people who come to see me are from, let's say, their mid-30s and up. You may or may not know that there's certain things that change in us already from 25, but very much, of course, from the early 30s and then mid-30s in terms of regeneration of cells. So we will see from that age that skin, hair and nails, for instance, aren't rejuvenated as easily, muscles for sure, the fact that if we don't have a physical exercise that helps us build muscles, we, from, let's say, that time and on, actually lose about a percentage of muscle mass per year if we don't maintain it, right? And that percentage of muscle mass doesn't vanish, it transforms into fat. And it starts, of course, from the inside of the muscle, so we don't see the difference. What it does, though, is that it weakens us, which is why then people later on in life develop issues with their hips or other things. And, of course, when we're in our early and mid-twenties, for instance, even a little bit after that, none of this is visible. So we can do basically what we want. And we don't have to care so much. And then all of a sudden we start to notice small things and that's when we get scared. We realize that we're mortal. Now Ayurveda tells us a very positive message that it's never too late, that everything is reversible. So you can always change but of course depending on for how many years you've been practicing something, a certain habit for instance, it can be more or less difficult to actually follow through on those changes. And we would love to, you know, trust our willpower, all the pop psychology <laughs> and so on, motivational things talk a lot about willpower and motivation, but really we tend to fall short on that quite easily and then we get even more discouraged and disappointed and we sink back into our old shell into our old habits because well if you would look at it from the kind of neuroscience point of view there really isn't something um, such as willpower instead there are a number of variables let's say that need to be met that come together at the same time in order for change to happen we actually need to re-educate ourselves in our habits. You might have heard me speak about this in the past, especially when I spoke about habits. There's an episode only on that, an addiction, that our brain basically functions on economy. So anything that is already habitual for us, familiar, needs less energy to reproduce and therefore we would fall back on familiarity much more easily than trying something new. Neuropsychiatrists who have studied the pathways for habits and addictions 
can trace our capacity to change a habit to how high the reward value is of the habit. And the best way to undo the spell that the habit has for us is therefore to reduce this reward value so that we can, well, first of all, see things clearly, actually, for what they truly are, but also see, therefore, how little it actually has a reward value in real. Because that's the, that's the key behind having an addiction to something. It's the fact that we're so seeking to experience that reward value, so kind of like that dopamine kick, for instance, right? That it never really happens because in real, it doesn't have ever again such a strong effect on us as it had the very first time maybe that we did it. And this is, of course, why we keep doing it, why we keep repeating it, because we're not really getting it, and so we keep going for it anyway. But in order to be able to then break that spell, we need to really dissect the habit. And this means that we need to observe what sets the habit off, what the trigger for it is, as well as what we seek to experience when we indulge in it. So what we're hoping for. And this is not only with addictions or bad habits. It's, of course, the same thing when it comes to self-destructive behaviors of not, for instance, sticking to something. Let's say the typical New Year's resolutions. I'm going to exercise regularly. I promised myself on the 1st of January. And by the 15th, 15th of the month, that is already broken. There's a strong aspect of self-awareness in this work. Now, when I say self-awareness, I don't want to sound abstract. So I want to instead use the word self-observation, which will create the awareness. We need to be aware of what we're doing, actually. And that's really essential because that will help us to see at what point we go the wrong way, but even more than that, how what we were hoping for to experience with the habit or the addiction isn't serving, that it never really happens. So in order to be able to see that by indulging in X, Y, or Z, I want to feel a little bit better, I just want to feel more happy, and then being very aware of what's going on while I'm doing it, being therefore able to see that I don't actually feel that happy after that cupcake. We live a life where we are constantly oscillating between wanting the moment to be something different and trying to make ourselves feel better. It means that we are very much caught in our own narrative and that narrative is of a very small version of ourselves a constricted version it's really far from that concept of equanimity so the idea of living in equanimity then seems like paradise right not having to listen to that narrative and how do we get there so from the ayurvedic perspective the practices 
teaches us actually how to get there. The secret is really in the small actions. I would say that one of the really key aspects here in this secret is the fact, for instance, of having a routine that I perform every single day as a ritual. And why do I say as a ritual? I've spoken about that as well in the past, because I'm doing it in a very conscious, mindful, and intentional way, which is really kind of what would define a ritual, right? You're doing something not randomly, it is set out for a reason, and you're doing it very focused on what you're doing. You see, when we have created for ourselves some kind of routine, which would, for instance, be a question of waking up always at the same time and then proceeding to XYZ kind of um, things that we tend to first thing in the morning, we do that as a way to feel better, let's say, right? To Let's say I decide that every morning one of the first things that I do is that I sit down for meditation. And I do that because I know that if I sit down for meditation, I will be able to then start my day in a more poised and grounded and clear way. And so as I do that every single day, and I do it with that intention, what I begin to observe is, of course, the fact that from one day to the next, it feels different. Certain days, it feels wonderful and it goes in a flow. Certain days, it feels horrible and nothing seems to be going well. And then there's a variety of in-between states as well. But one of the advantages of noticing this is that, let's say on Monday it feels great, but then on Tuesday it doesn't. And then again on Saturday, it feels really good again. It reinforces my trust that it will happen again and that this too shall pass, which is really the perspective that someone who practices equanimity has because they've been capable of developing a vision through their own personal experience that it is actually true that this too shall pass. Since on Monday it felt great and then it didn't, but then on Saturday again it felt great. Well, if I'm experiencing dips again, my own personal experience comes in to testify that the good times will come back once again. That is just one aspect that helps us to create a little bit more of a equanimous outlook on my situation. And we can even take with that, let's say, being in love and feeling on top of the world and then being heartbroken and feeling lower than the earth. Now I know <laughs> that it's easier said than done when you're in that state to think that you will feel good again. But the more you practice this equanimous viewpoint because you're meditating every day and you're experiencing the different states, the more you can actually trust that that phrase is not just a cliche, but it's actually true because you've experienced it before, yet it was in different kind of conditions. When you begin to practice these different 
routines that Ayurveda gives us in order to bring ourselves progressively back to a balanced state. What that also means is that we become more attuned to subtle changes in our bodies and in the atmosphere. Because when we understand what it means to live in a way that balances our doshas and the doshas on the macrocosm, so outside of us, as well as the microcosm inside of us, then we become sensitive to small changes. This could be, for instance, waking up one morning in the middle of summer, realizing that you've been sweating through your sheets and it's already really hot outside, as opposed to how it was in winter, of course, or autumn or anything else. Therefore, you as an Ayurvedic practitioner can feel that your pitta, your heat, your fire is high. You can feel that it's high inside of you because you've been sweating through your sheets, but also that it's felt in the outside because it's warmer outside. Therefore, you then know how to bring in the opposite qualities of pitta in order to stay your stay balanced in your day. So pitta being hot and light and sticky, you would bring in coolness, grounding, dry. This might mean that you take a nice cold shower, dry yourself off, put on some really light cotton clothing that's not sticking to the body, and you sit down for a nice long meditation. It has allowed you to cool down and then ground and soften. And all of a sudden, your outlook of the day is different to when you just woke up and maybe feeling really uncomfortable in those sweaty sheets. When it comes to other habits, such as eating, the fact of practicing from the Ayurvedic perspective our relationship to food brings in a new perspective on what eating actually means to us. I have spoken many times in the past of emotional eating, which is something that basically most of us practice. When you take on the Ayurvedic perspective and you live from these theories, your food becomes actually something else than an entertainment. You might even come to a point where you're capable of eating really quite boring plain food, appreciating the simple taste of lightly cooked vegetables, for instance, with rice, and maybe even being able to eat kind of the same thing most of the time. You are perceiving the food itself and the mealtime as something other than a moment where I want to distract myself from what is. We even use in my program a practice for learning to read our food habits, which has had incredible benefits to everyone doing it. I am the first one to definitely recommend working this way 
because I noticed myself very much the difference. And everyone that I've worked with in my program have experienced really these epiphanies when they start doing it. It's a very simple way of basically developing a certain curiosity around the food and an awareness of, am I actually hungry right now? How hungry am I? And then even see when you come to the end of a meal, am I maybe satisfied even though my plate isn't empty? And all of a sudden, the relationship that we have to food begins to change. Now, of course, it is far more easy to look at life from equanimity when we're feeling abundance and grounded and confident in ourselves, as opposed to when we're feeling fear and scarcity and anxious and pain, because then we don't want to be in that state. So one of the first things that we want to do in order to get to equanimity is to begin improving the things around us that makes us feel bad, such as creating a small routine in the morning, such as paying attention to how we eat, what we eat, and why we eat. A very simple way to do that is to make yourself eat every time you eat something, every single time you eat something. Sit down at a table, putting whatever you're eating on a plate, even if it's just that you decided to have a cookie. You prepare it as if it was a meal. All of a sudden, you do less of that mindless snacking, but then also stay away from your phone, from even listening to things, looking at Netflix or whatever it might be, and just be on your own with the food. That is an incredible practice which will change your relationship to mealtime and that will change that reward value that the food or the eating had in your head of making you feel safe or happy or where it might be. I am so grateful that you have chosen to give me some time of your day to listen to this episode. Now, this is all done on my free time. There's no money involved in this podcast. So if you would like to support me somehow, I would love for that to happen. And you could do that by simply rating and reviewing. So what that means is that if you're listening on Apple Podcast, you can simply give me five stars review and you can give me a commentary. Obviously, if you feel that it deserves it. Once again, thank you so much and enjoy the listening. And so each and one of the different actions that Ayurveda proposes as a way to find balance in your doshas allows for us to little by little stabilize how we feel, which makes it all of a sudden easier to step out of the small self, the narrative, the constricted fear mode, and allows instead to 
be in the moment, be aware of what's going on around us, observing from the witness perspective. So basically, if equanimity is the secret key to happiness, and you would like to acquire that feeling, then taking on the Ayurvedic lifestyle will bring you there. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste.